Let me get started here, but before I do, let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, you are amazingly good, and we love your scripture. We thank you for the truth of Melchizedek, and I think that not only for myself, but most of us, we would find this to be a hard passage. So please open up our hearts. Uh, Give me words. Give me words that would be straight from your scripture. Uh, Lord, we absolutely need you here. Uh, We need your truth, and we need your presence uh, to change our hearts. So I ask right now for us that you would meet us, and our hearts would be encouraged and strengthened by your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. um, It it really is important uh, for me that this isn't about what I think. I I really want to soak deep into this chapter 7 of Hebrews. Uh, So because of that, it's really important that you have your own word this morning. So if you don't have the Bible in front of you, raise your hand. I will have one of the ushers pass out one for you. It's on uh, page 1004 in those Bibles being handed out. Uh, This is a really deep, heady scripture. Um, When I first uh, was talking to Steve about Hebrews 7, I was thinking, Melchizedek? Melchizedek who? Uh, This is not something that is in our vernacular very much as Christians, but it really should be. I was just shocked as I was studying this the last couple weeks. Uh, Maria can attest to this. There was a few times where I was just so excited. I was literally dancing down the hallway of our house. Just, look what I learned. And this is Melchizedek. Why why would I be excited about Melchizedek? This is amazing truth. So I would ask this morning that you would bear with me. There's some deep stuff here, but there's some good heart satisfying truth as well. So, uh, Put your head in there, but also put your heart, because we're going to go through some good stuff. Um, So let me first start by just giving a brief recap of what we've learned in Hebrews. Uh, There's been a lot, so let me just kind of give some quick context. Uh, Chapters 1 through 4, the author of Hebrews is uh, giving us a really strong warning about how we need to persevere in the faith, Uh, because if we don't, uh, we risk losing our salvation. And then we kind of ask, well, what's the point? And why would he make such a strong point for four chapters? The point is that our natural hearts draw us away from God. We naturally, from the current of our hearts, get pulled away from him. Uh, But chapters 4 and 5 go on to say that we have a high priest uh, in Jesus who does stand before God. And unlike the sinful high priest that came before Jesus, he is perfect. And he can stand in our place uh, and give us salvation through him. So in other words, you kind of wonder how these two pieces fit together. Uh, It's not our obedience. It's Jesus that allows us to be right before God. We had sinful high priests in the past who didn't do that, but we have Jesus now, not our obedience. Uh, In fact, chapter 5, 9 through 10 says that Jesus is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And it's interesting because the very next verse He says, about this, meaning Jesus being appointed in the order of Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. He takes a pause here and he says, I want to tell you more about Melchizedek, but I need to take a pause and say, you need to persevere. There's some truth that you need to establish first in your life before you can hear this uh, argument about Melchizedek. So what he says is we need to really uh, fight that dullness and be eager to pursue good works in faith and patience until we do receive our inheritance. And we have the promises to hold on to, which is what Steve was talking to last week. And this is where he picks back up on the argument flow, talking about Melchizedek. 
So the thing that's interesting here is he's a couple times brought up Melchizedek, and this is really where he soaks deep into Melchizedek and talks about why it's so important. Uh, and so we've got a whole chapter here of Hebrews, chapter 7, that talks about how important Melchizedek is. Uh, so let's read first couple verses. What is this Melchizedek guy? Who is he? Uh, and we'll see in this first three verses that he is, one, the king of righteousness, two, the king of peace, and three, the priest of God. So follow along with me here. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Uh, these first three verses are referring back to Hebrews chapter 14. Here Abraham uh, rescues his nephew Lot. Uh, before the Israelites conquered the promised land, uh, they were just nomads. And these raiding kings came in and conquered a bunch of the towns there. And in fact, Abraham's uh, nephew Lot was taken. So Abraham went and rescued Lot. And in fact, killed all those kings. So not only did these kings who had territory and control over the land, they were defeated by Abraham. But now Abraham, because he defeated them, had control of that whole territory. And as Abraham came back, there's a strange guy, Melchizedek, who shows up. And uh, Abraham gives 10% of the spoils to him. So he kind of had to wonder, who is this guy? Why did he show up? Um, and so it actually says here in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 who this guy is. Um, so the first question is, you know, who is this Melchizedek guy? Why are we learning about him? Um, if you just take the literal translation of his name, uh, Melech means king, Sedek means righteousness. So he's the king of righteousness. Now that's a bit of a Christian word. What does righteousness mean? Uh, Deuteronomy 9.5 describes righteousness as uprightness of heart. 1 Samuel 26.23 describes it as faithfulness. So this is a king not like other kings. He is a faithful king who is upright in heart. It kind of sets him out a little bit. Uh, secondly, he is king of Salem. Uh, Salem is likely a town uh, that was formerly Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Salem also means uh, it's very much related to the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. Uh, so he is the king of peace. Uh, thirdly, Melchizedek was priest of the Most High God. Now, most of us at this point are probably starting to gla uh, glaze over and say, priest of the Most High God. We, I mean, we don't really think about priests. That's not in our vocabulary, but it really should be. Uh, and the reason is uh, we, we get this idea that, you know, we can stand before God because of Jesus. And I just don't think we have a clear picture of that. In reality, if we stood before God right now on our own by ourselves, we would be justly condemned to hell. We have all done something. We have all sinned to rightly deserve hell. And on our own standing before God, he would be very just in condemning us to hell. But we have Jesus who stands in our place between us and God. And it's his righteousness that clothes us. And that's the reason we can have hope. It's not because of anything we've done. It's everything because of what Jesus did. And that's why we need a high priest. So I, I encourage you this morning to really see how important it is that we've got this huge gulf between who we are and who God is and his holiness. And we do need that mediator. We do need Jesus as our high priest to mediate for us. The priest is someone who intercedes for us who are not perfect so that we can stand before him who is perfect. 
And, you know, it's interesting because we're only a few chapters into Genesis uh, 14 when this Melchizedek guy shows up. And here's a high priest. It's clear that very early in God's plan, we needed a high priest. This isn't something introduced way into, uh, you know, Israelites going into the promised land. Very early into God's plan, there's a high priest. Um, This passage goes on to say in verse 3 that Melchizedek doesn't have known parents or a known death. Um, You kind of have to wonder, you know, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Uh, In reality, it it actually doesn't matter too much because the author of Hebrews says that he resembles Jesus or he's like him. He's an allegory or he is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And it's this Jesus who is our priest forever. He continues uh, as a priest forever. All right, so he's... Uh, king of righteousness, he's king of peace, and he's also uh, a priest. All right, so now verses 4 through 10 talk a lot about a tithe. You've got to wonder, why is he spending so much time talking about a tithe? Uh, and the whole point of this, he actually says it, is because he wants to establish the fact that Melchizedek was superior to Abraham. So let's read this. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, the Levites, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So we've got on the one hand Levites, who are of the descent of Abraham, and they collected tithes, or 10% of their income, from their fellow man, so they could support the temple services. On the other hand, we have this other guy that's uh, Melchizedek, who doesn't come from Abraham. And uh, the, the question here is, well, what's the difference? And he really says it quite clearly, is that uh, the inferior is blessed by the superior, meaning uh, who did the blessing? It was Melchizedek who did the blessing. So we can say that that who is superior is Melchizedek. The inferior, Abraham, is blessed by the superior, Melchizedek. So I know the tithe thing can get a little hard to follow, but the point is to say that Melchizedek is the superior being. And he goes on to even elaborate on that to say that, um, you know, verses 9 through 10, that Levi, though not yet born, paid tithes through through Abraham to Melchizedek. And that sounds kind of weird thinking, but in essence, he's saying this guy is really good. That's why he's getting a tithe. So... Uh, He then goes on further, the author of Hebrews, uh, in verses 11 through 24 to talk about, well, how was he better? And this was where it could get a little deep, so bear with me. Uh, There's a reason why it goes so deep is because I really think the point of this is to stir our souls and stir our hearts to understand how uh, better Jesus is. So let this stir your faith to understand uh, why Jesus is so much better than everything else that this world has. Um, so 11 through 12 really talks about why the other priesthood was inadequate. Uh, follow along with me in verses 11 through 12. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? 
For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law. If you caught that third word, what is it? Perfection. Saying the whole point of why the Levitical priesthood wasn't enough was because it couldn't make them perfect. So he goes on into uh, a long list of explanation of what the differences are. So verses 13 through 14, he describes the tribe of Levi and how the tribe of Levi served at the temple altar, whereas the tribe of Judah never served at the altar. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord, Jesus, was descended from the tribe of Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So two different tribes we're talking about here. Verses 15 through 17 describe how the basis for the Levitical order is physical, bodily lineage, was Melchizedek is immortal life. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, you're probably also wondering, you know, why is he referencing Genesis 14? Uh, it seems kind of random just to throw out uh, this guy, you know, only had a few verses about him. But what's interesting here is the author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 110. This is a prophecy, uh, uh, David's prophesying many centuries before Jesus that the Levitical order is not sufficient, doesn't cut it. And he's saying we should take note of another priest that will come. He's saying look forward to someone else that's going to be of the order of Melchizedek. So in short, uh, the author of Hebrews isn't coming up with something really random out of Genesis. He's saying look to what David prophesied in Psalm 110 and really get that deep into your heart that there is going to be another priest coming who will be our perfect priest. And of course, Hebrews 7 says that's Jesus. Uh, verses 18 through 19 uh, drive home the point of how weak uh, the law was because it made nothing perfect. Again, that message or that theme of perfection. Uh, but Jesus is a better hope because by him we are credited perfection. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Did you notice that word? It's pretty strong. It refers to the law as useless. <laughs> we talk a lot about the law, and it's a pretty thick chunk of our Bible. And the author of Hebrews is saying it's useless. Why is it useless? I mean, there's a lot of effort spent into it. He's saying because it didn't make anyone perfect. But what's different about Jesus? Well, by analogy, if the law wasn't able to make us perfect, but there's a better hope, it's saying Jesus is the better hope because he makes us perfect. And what's the point of that perfection? The point of the perfection is we can draw near to God. I just, that's an amazing truth. Uh, I, this is one of the points I was dancing through the hallway. Uh, he, his perfection is all about us being in intimacy with God. It's not about us having comfort. It's not about us having material possession. Uh, the whole point of Jesus' perfection is so that he can become the high priest that stands and mediates between us and God so that we can draw near to him. That's just an amazing truth. All right, uh, two more sections here on the detailed comparison. Uh, verses 22, or 20 through 22 uh, compare the covenant. Uh, it's talking about how one was established with an oath where the other one is not. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one, Jesus, 
was made a priest with an oath by the one of whom it is said of him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. If you notice, he again quotes Psalm 110. I think the reason he's doing that is because he really wants to engrave in our mind how important it is that Jesus was prophesied many centuries before Jesus was born. And even more importantly, uh, that he's going to be priest forever. We don't have to worry about, you know, some other priest showing up. Jesus is it. And he's going to reign forever. And we have this promise of his continuing nature. Uh, So verses 23 through 24 finish out this detailed list. Uh, He talks about how on the one hand, there's many priests. On the other hand, there's just one Jesus. And the difference for that is that the many priests die. Jesus is it. He's he's reigning eternally. Uh, He says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Uh, At this point, I suspect many of you are like me, and you were thinking, wow, that was a lot of details. What does this have to do with me? And if you just stop there, you think, okay, yeah, a lot of good priesthood stuff. I understand I need someone to mediate, but my heart really isn't stirred at this point. But... That's why the author of Hebrews gives us verse 25. I love, I absolutely love the word consequently. If you check out this word, it's saying everything we just learned, all the stuff that we just went through, all those details, because of that, there's something really good for us. So let's check out what that is. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Uh, See, the author of Hebrews is saying those details that we just went through, the fact that Jesus is our king of righteousness, our king of peace, and also because, secondly, he's superior to the other Levitical priests. And because of that, third, he can make us perfect. Because of that, Jesus can save us to the uttermost. I think the challenge here is that we, we complicate it. We throw a bunch of other stuff in it. But the point of this verse is that Jesus can do it entirely, completely, and to the uttermost. Look to him to do the full, complete salvation. Uh, that whole business about us deserving hell, he took that from us. He can save us completely. Oh, man, I just, the whole reason I spent a little bit of time talking about uh, the first part of Hebrews it's because he warns us about us going to hell. That awaits us if we don't persevere. And I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time worrying about, gosh, am I doing it enough? Are my actions there? You know, kind of wrestling with my brain. And I think the whole reason he goes through that is to say, yeah, you are inadequate. Looking at all those things you need to do, you're going to fail. But look to Jesus because he can save you to the uttermost. And it's not that our behaviors aren't important. They are gravely serious. But it's Jesus and through Jesus that we're saved, and the outflow of that is our behavior. So if we focus on our behavior, we're not going to do it. We're going to have imperfect behavior that puts us right back where we started, hell. So look to Jesus. And so this is why it's so important, is because our performance is not enough, but we can rest in Jesus. Um, One other thing I want to say is that um, this is a conditional promise. Did you notice that? I hear a lot of times, you know, people talking about grace. Grace is not unconditional. This is uh, not unconditional grace for everyone. This is conditional grace for those that draw near to him. How does that sit with you? Uh, We have a part in this. 
we draw near to him, that means we surrender, we repent, we submit, we believe, we trust, we rely on Christ. And when we do that, he saves us to the uttermost. Uh, One other thing to note about this is that drawing near, this isn't one and done. This is a regular activity. The verb tense implies that we're regularly coming to him. We're regularly being drawn to him. So uh, come, come daily. Um, another thing I'd just like to add just to kind of build this out is that um, it's, drawing sounds exterior, doesn't it? It sounds like exterior we do something. You know, we show up at church, we whip open our Bible because we're supposed to, maybe flip on the Christian radio, all external stuff. But what's going on inside of here? This drawing implies a, a very deep heart activity, not just on the exterior, but also on the interior. So when we come to church, why are we here? We're here to meet with the living God. Is that what's in your heart? Is that what's in my heart? When we open the word, do we, are we just delighted and wanting to not only know about him, but to really know him through his revealed word? Or when we listen to worship music, are we truly worshiping him, or is it just background noise? Uh, and I suppose at this point you're probably thinking, okay, my head's spinning a little bit with all these qualifications. Yeah, we come to him imperfectly. <laughs> we don't do this perfect. No, don't get me wrong. We come to him with lingering sin. We come to him with frustrations, anger, bitterness, hurt. But we come to him. And the point is, is that through that process, he changes us. Uh, one other point that's really important. Uh, we draw near to him through Jesus. This is how it ties back to verses 1 through 24. It's because uh, Christ is our high priest who intercedes for us. It's not my righteousness, it's his. Uh, See, we're sinners saved by Jesus. We're saved through Jesus. The only reason that God and his holiness would ever look on us is because he's looking on us through Jesus, through his blood, through his righteousness. And so uh, it's so vitally important that we have verses 1 through 24 because we need that high priest. We have nothing if we don't have that high priest through Jesus. It's his perfection, and because of that, we can draw near to God. Uh, and I just, I just um, think about it. He is able to save to the uttermost completely, entirely, those who draw near to him. To me, I find this just so soul-satisfying because I read all these, you know, Uh, challenges and uh, warnings about falling away. And it sounds like I really got to do a lot. And all I got to do is submit. All I got to do is surrender to Jesus and he does the rest. Um, And it's just amazing to me that uh, I draw near and he saves. Um, You know, just a bit about me. I, I tend to be a bit of an anxious person. Um, I I worry at work about being perfect in what I do. I worry about people's response to me and how I'm being received. Uh, I I get worried and anxious about the future. I fear it sometimes. Uh, You know, in other words, uh, I'm I'm not trusting God. (laughs) I'm trying to control what the future looks like. I'm trying to uh, provide some stability on my own. And this is a beautiful just opportunity for me daily and sometimes even just hourly, quite literally, going on my face before him and saying, I'm trying to control this. I'm trying to rely on this. I need, in my sinfulness, because right now I'm saying, God, that you're not good enough to be trusted, I need right now someone to clothe me with righteousness because I'm not. And that's where we have Jesus. And that's where I can go to Jesus hourly when I need to and come to him and be clothed in righteousness. So my job 
I go to him, I get drawn to him, and then he does the work. He saves me daily. So uh, four implications for us today. I want to make sure um, that we can really put this in our hearts. Um, I don't know about you, but I oftentimes don't even have the desire to go to him. I come home feeling a little bit cruddy, but I haven't really thought about why. It's like, ah, I could you know, get some stuff done, maybe feel good about checking some stuff off, turn on the TV. I don't always feel like going to him. So first implication, it is important for us to go to him. So if you don't feel like it, ask him to draw you, and he'll do that. Maybe that's all the strength you have is for him to, uh, or for you to pray that he would draw you. But he'll do it. If you pray, Lord, I don't desire you, but I want to desire you, he will answer that prayer, and he's answered it for me many times. Um, come to him. <laughs> don't just wait there. Uh, there is a fight. Um, so don't wait until you feel good. Uh, don't wait until uh, you feel like everything's lined up and you've got all your other actions done. Come to him. Come to him messed up. Come to him frustrated. Come to him angry. And he will meet you. You don't have to wait till you got all this figured out. Um, but when you come to him, uh, the natural heart response is to humble yourself and submit to him. So you lay these down at his feet, and he changes you as you submit. Um, third, thank him. Just think of the beauty of Jesus as our high priest. We've got nothing to offer, but he provided the high priest in Jesus. And thank him for that. I mean, just really let that stir your heart affections of gratitude and just um, thankfulness that he has done something so good that we don't deserve. Uh, and fourth, trust Jesus. As Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Uh, you see, Jesus can save you to the uttermost, both yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, we believe, trust, and rely on Christ, and he saves us completely. So I'd challenge you, what uh, prevents you from drawing near to him? What areas do you need to surrender so that you can draw near to him? It is a daily activity, and uh, I just challenge you to not hang on to what you know of Jesus. Uh, really surrender to him, be drawn to him, and so that he can change you. Let him be your high priest. Um, so do it today. Draw near to him so that he can utterly save you. Um, I went quick, probably because slightly nervous, but um, what questions would this bring up? I'd love to hear about uh, what questions you have about Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, so uh, Melchizedek was a forerunner, a precursor for a different priesthood. So it wasn't that Melchizedek himself was someone that we need to you know, build a shrine to or pray to. He's just a forerunner to say that there is a different priesthood that is a priesthood of righteousness, of peace, of perfection, and that is who we look to in Jesus. So he is more of a foreshadowing. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law, not to, you know, throw it out. So uh, it's not that we don't look at the Old Testament or the law. Uh, but, uh, you know, as you pointed out, it is saying that the order of the Levites was imperfect and unable to make us right before God. It was just, in fact, we'll get into this later in Hebrews, but it was just, in fact, I think it was, uh, and uh, it's an eight. He's going to talk about how this is just a copy. Uh, 
the Levitical priesthood is just about uh, showing us that there's going to be a true priesthood that we can rely on in Jesus. Uh, but that doesn't negate the fact that God still calls us to do these things. It's just saying that we need a priest that can help us fulfill those things, and we need a priest that can cover us so that we can be righteous. Um, we still absolutely need to do the works, but in order to do the works, we need that priest that can cover us. Ah, conditional grace. Yes. So let me repeat the scripture because this is this is our uh, our anchor right here. Uh, so he says, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So that means the conditionality is that in order to save to the uttermost, we have to draw near to him through Jesus. So uh, it's not that everybody is going to be uh, saved to the uttermost through Jesus. Uh, so I think this is the challenge of the gospel is that uh, there's only some that are going to be saved. And so the challenge to us today is we can't rest on our laurels of, yeah, I sometime 20 years ago gave my heart to Jesus. There's a continuing pattern of being uh, drawn to him and surrendering to him. And then that he, he does the saving that we need. So, uh, I think also the challenge uh, is that you, know, you could say, well, the good work that he started, he will continue to completion. So we need to rely on that. But uh, the clear implication from this scripture is that we need to be drawn by him. So uh, we can't rest on the fact that, yeah, okay, in the past, that's a symptom of a very cold heart. And you have to question of if you have a pattern of being cold like that, of, yeah, 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 I, I took care of that. Is your heart really being drawn to him? All right. Um, so Melchizedek, I, again, I, I would just challenge you this morning. Um, Melchizedek does seem like a very heady thing. Um, but as you think about Jesus as your high priest, that he is different than the Levitical order, that he does impute perfection to us through his blood. Let that just stir you for being drawn to him. Give him your life completely, entirely and utterly. That's what we do. We are drawn to him, and he does the rest. So uh, I, I just challenge you this morning. Where's your heart at? Um, really surrender him who you are, everything, so that you are being drawn to him, and uh, let him save you. He does the work. It's amazing. Um, so this morning, if you do have any heart needs or physical needs, come up. We can pray for you. Um, you know, even right now, God can do an amazing work um, as we pray for you. Um, so let me close in prayer, and then if anybody else does have you know, any prayer requests, come up front and we can be praying for you. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for the truth of Jesus being our high priest, that we can right now talk to you and know that you hear us with open arms and you smile on us. We do thank you amazingly for Jesus, and we trust him for our salvation, knowing that he will save us utterly. And uh, I thank you, God. I thank you for the work that you do and that we can rely on you for it. So please continue to draw us to you, Lord. We oftentimes don't desire you. So draw us that our hearts would be satisfied in you and we can be utterly saved. In Jesus' name, amen.